Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. On today's episode, we'll go over the topic of intrapartum fetal assessment from the obstetric section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 35-year-old woman at 42 weeks of gestation presents for an induction of labor due to post-term pregnancy. She reports positive fetal movement and denies vaginal bleeding. After amniotomy is performed, a change in the fetal heart rate is noted. Specifically, the fetal heart tracing shows variable decelerations of the fetal heart rate that do not bear a constant relationship to uterine contractions. Maternal repositioning was performed. Now, let's get into the episode. As a quick introduction, intrapartum fetal assessments are performed to assess fetal well-being during labor and delivery. Examples of fetal assessments include a biophysical profile and fetal heart rate monitoring. Know that electronic fetal monitoring is the most common method to assess the fetus during labor. Now, let's talk about the biophysical profile in a bit more detail. So there are five measurements of fetal well-being, each rated on a scale of 0 or 2. These measurements include fetal breathing, gross body movements, fetal tone, specifically extremity extension and flexion, amniotic fluid volume, and non-stress test, otherwise known as NST. As far as scoring, 8 to 10 is reassuring. 6 is equivocal, and know that a patient should undergo delivery if greater than 36 weeks in this setting. And you should repeat the biophysical profile in 24 hours if less than 36 weeks. Know that less than or equal to 4 is abnormal and requires immediate intervention. Moving on to the fetal heart rate, know that normal fetal heart rate is 120 to 160 per minute. Tachycardia is a fetal heart rate of greater than 160 per minute. Causes include maternal fever, fetal hypoxia, prematurity, anemia, whether maternal or fetal, chorioamnionitis, and hyperthyroidism. Bradycardia is fetal heart rate of less than 110 per minute for greater than 10 minutes. Causes include congenital heart block and maternal beta blockers. In terms of fetal heart rate variability, this is a reliable indicator of fetal well-being. Causes of decreased variability includes fetal hypoxia and congenital heart anomalies. Now, let's talk about electronic fetal heart rate monitoring tracing interpretation. We'll go over accelerations, early decelerations, variable decelerations, late decelerations, and sinusoidal tracing. So starting with accelerations, this is defined as increased fetal heart rate at least 15 per minute above baseline for greater than or equal to 15 seconds and less than 2 minutes in a 20-minute period when gestational age is greater than 32 weeks or 10 per minute for greater than or equal to 10 seconds when gestational age is less than 32 weeks. This is considered a reactive non-stress test, which needs the presence of at least 2 accelerations. Know that accelerations suggest fetal well-being, and if this was a non-stress test during pregnancy, not intrapartum, management would be routine follow-up. Early decelerations is defined as decreased fetal heart rate, not below 100 per minute, that coincide with uterine contraction. Know that the nadir of deceleration meets the apex of the uterine contraction in the setting of an early deceleration. Early decelerations result from pressure on the fetal head or fetal head compression, resulting in vagus nerve stimulation and reflex bradycardia. Know that early decelerations are physiologic and not harmful to the fetus. Variable decelerations may not coincide with uterine contractions. This is defined as a rapid decrease in fetal heart rate, often less than 100 per minute, with variable recovery. The reflex mechanism is due to umbilical cord compression and know that rupture of membranes can lead to umbilical artery compression. You can correct this by shifting maternal position or amnioinfusion if membranes are ruptured. 
This is considered first line, and if maternal repositioning does not improve fetal heart rate tracing, amnio infusion can be considered. Moving on to late decelerations, this begins after uterine contraction has started. This is associated with utero-placental insufficiency and viewed as potentially dangerous. Potential causes include placental abruption, maternal diabetes, maternal anemia, maternal sepsis, post-term pregnancy, and a hyperstimulated uterus. Know that repetitive late decelerations require intervention. Finally, a sinusoidal tracing is a sine wave-like pattern that is associated with increased morbidity and mortality and is indicative of severe fetal anemia, for example, severe hypoxia and RH disease. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question. A 28-year-old Gravita 2 Para 1 woman at 37 weeks gestation presents to the hospital with painful uterine contractions. The contractions began a few hours ago and have been regular. She also notes a large amount of fluid leakage that occurred 30 minutes ago. She has received full prenatal care and has had a normal prenatal course. Her temperature is 98 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.6 degrees Celsius, pulse is 95 per minute, blood pressure is 120 over 80 millimeters of mercury, and respirations are 18 per minute. On examination, her cervix is 6 centimeters dilated and 100% effaced with the fetal presenting part at plus one station. The fetal heart rate tracing shows abrupt decrease in fetal heart rate that is less than 30 seconds from onset to nadir, rapid return to baseline, and correlation with contractions which is consistent with variable decelerations. Which of the following is the most likely cause of the patient's fetal heart rate tracing? And the choices are 1. Fetal anemia, 2. Fetal head compression, 3. Intraamniotic infection, 4. Placental abruption, and 5. Umbilical cord compression. The correct answer to this question is 5. Umbilical cord compression. So this patient's fetal heart rate tracing demonstrates variable decelerations which typically occur due to umbilical cord compression. To quickly review, variable decelerations commonly present after the rupture of membranes or decreased amniotic fluid volume that leads to umbilical cord compression. As the umbilical cord is compressed, the umbilical vessels are compressed, causing an increase in fetal vasculature resistance and blood pressure, which leads to a rapid decrease in fetal heart rate. The abrupt decrease in fetal heart rate seen with variable decelerations usually lasts less than 30 seconds from onset to nadir and rapidly returns to baseline when the umbilical cord is decompressed. First-line management includes maternal repositioning, if compression is minor, and amnio-infusion, in which a saline solution is introduced into the uterus to decompress the umbilical cord. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, fetal anemia, usually presents with a sinusoidal fetal heart rate tracing with no variability. This patient's tracing has moderate variability and no sinusoidal wave pattern. Answer 2, fetal head compression, typically results in early decelerations on fetal heart monitoring, which correlate with contractions and tend to have a slower time from onset to nadir that is greater than 30 seconds, rather than an abrupt decrease in fetal heart rate seen with variable decelerations. Answer 3, intraamniotic infection, results in fetal tachycardia on fetal heart monitoring that is greater than 180 per minute and is commonly caused by maternal infection, otherwise known as chorioamnionitis. This patient is afebrile with no signs of infection and has a normal fetal heart rate on monitoring. Finally, answer 4, placental abruption leads to late decelerations on fetal heart rate monitoring. 
Late decelerations have a slower time from onset to nadir that is greater than 30 seconds and are delayed with contractions, unlike the abrupt decrease and return to baseline in fetal heart rate that correlates with contractions as seen on this patient's tracing. To leave you with a bullet summary, variable decelerations typically occur due to umbilical cord compression. Moving on to the next question. A 30-year-old G1P0 woman at 40 weeks gestation is admitted to the maternity ward for induction of labor. She has been taking her multivitamin daily. She feels fetal movement and denies any vaginal bleeding. Her temperature is 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit or 37 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 110 over 60 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 85 per minute. Respirations are 25 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 100%. The fetal heart monitor shows a heart rate of 120 per minute. A lumbar epidural catheter is placed without difficulty, followed by amniotomy. No vaginal bleeding is observed. 30 minutes later, the nurse reports fetal heart tracings consistent with variable decelerations. The patient's vital signs have not changed. What is the most appropriate next step in management? And the choices are 1. Cesarean section. 2. Intravenous fluids. 3. Maternal repositioning. 4. Phenylephrine. And 5. Supplementary oxygen. The correct answer to this question is 3, maternal repositioning. So this vignette describes a patient whose fetal heart tracings reveal variable decelerations. The next best step is conservative management, starting with maternal repositioning. To quickly review, variable decelerations are rapid decreases in fetal heart rate with variable rates of recovery to baseline rates. They may not coincide with uterine contractions. It is thought to be a reflex mechanism due to umbilical cord compression, which can be exacerbated by rupture of the amniotic membrane. Shifting maternal positioning can ameliorate variable decelerations. Amnioinfusion can be considered if maternal repositioning does not change the fetal heart tracing. If decelerations do not change or worsen, cesarean section is warranted to prevent consequences of fetal acidosis. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, cesarean section is incorrect, as this is indicated if maternal repositioning or amnioinfusion does not improve the decelerations. Answer 2, intravenous fluids, and answer 4, phenylephrine, are both incorrect, as intravenous fluids or vasopressors, such as phenylephrine, would be indicated if hypotension was a contributor to fetal decelerations. And finally, answer 5, supplementary oxygen is incorrect, as this may be indicated if the patient requires pre-oxygenation for surgical delivery, but not specifically for variable decelerations. To leave you with the bullet summary, variable decelerations are due to umbilical cord compression and require conservative management such as maternal repositioning initially. And moving on to the final question, a 23-year-old Gravita 2 Parazero woman presents to her obstetrician because she is worried about decreased fetal movement. She states that she was watching a movie at home for two hours and only counted 12 fetal kicks when normally she feels 20. The patient is 33 weeks pregnant, which was confirmed by ultrasound during the first trimester. She developed hypertension during week 22 of pregnancy but is otherwise healthy. She complains of mild intermittent nausea that has not affected her appetite. She takes prenatal vitamins and has attended all of her prenatal appointments. Her first pregnancy was complicated by a spontaneous abortion at 18 weeks. A urinalysis, complete blood count, basic metabolic panel, and a liver function test are within normal limits. The fetal tracing for non-stress test shows a normal fetal heart tracing with multiple accelerations recorded. Which of the following is the best next step in management? And the choices are 1. Contraction stress test, 2. Emergency cesarean section, 3. Induction of labor, 4. Intravenous magnesium sulfate, 
and five, routine follow-up. The correct answer to this question is five, routine follow-up. So the patient is presenting with a normal non-stress test and fetal tracing. Routine follow-up is standard management. A non-stress test is a prenatal test that monitors fetal heart rate to see how it responds to movements. A normal reactive non-stress test indicates that blood flow and oxygen to the fetus is adequate. For patients that are 32 weeks to term, a reactive test is defined as two or more fetal heart rate accelerations of at least 15 beats per minute or more above baseline and lasting 15 seconds within a 20-minute period. If the patient has reactive non-stress test with normal fetal heart tracings, management is a routine follow-up. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer one, contraction stress test is incorrect as contraction stress tests may be indicated if a non-stress test was abnormal. It is also performed towards the end of pregnancy to determine how well a fetus may respond to uterine contractions of childbirth. Answer two, emergency cesarean section is incorrect as this is indicated for fetal distress. This patient's non-stress test and fetal heart tracing were reactive and normal. Answer three, induction of labor is incorrect as induction of labor would be indicated for severe preeclampsia and eclampsia due to the risk to the mother with continued pregnancy. This patient has gestational hypertension without meeting the definition for preeclampsia, for example, proteinuria, thrombocytopenia, elevated serum creatinine, elevated liver transaminases, pulmonary edema, or cerebral symptoms. Finally, answer four, intravenous magnesium sulfate is incorrect as this is the first line for the prevention and treatment of eclamptic seizures. This patient has gestational hypertension without meeting the definition of preeclampsia. To leave you with a bullet summary, a reactive non-stress test and normal fetal heart tracing should be managed by routine follow-up. That's all for this review about intrapartum fetal assessment. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow MedBullets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.